depending on where you are. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Evening. This is Living While Black, and my name is Shayla Smith. And today I have a little bit of a heavier topic to talk about today. You know, um, today I want to specifically talk to the black women out there and to any black person that can carry a child. Um, I just inform you guys on something that, as one black woman to another... It's something that I'm really concerned about, you know, and uh, I just want us all to be informed and to understand what life is like going to be like for us, you know, and uh, so I would recommend that you make sure that you uh, talk to somebody out there and check on your own mental health and uh, just watch out, you know, because this is, this is a lot to deal with between what's been happening recently with black people all across America and police and everything. And I don't want to add one more thing to your plate, but we got to talk about this, all right? So again, I say uh, check on your mental health. Make sure you're talking to somebody and don't keep it all bottled in, all right? The strong black woman stereotype. We're black women are strong, but they do not have to be, all right? Uh, so yeah, anyways, anyways, sorry, I'm getting off track. <laughs> I hope that you guys are doing all right today. Uh, today's been a little bit of a long day for me, but I still want to come on here and I want to talk about something that I find really important. So we all know that, uh, black people are affected by racism in this country and all over the world. You know, it is, it's just a fact of life that black people are affected by racism. Uh, but I specifically want to talk about how black mothers and, uh, black people who are, uh, who can have kids how they are directly affected by racism, by the racism that occurs within the healthcare system. Uh, like I said, this is going to be a little bit heavy topic, and uh, I do apologize, you guys. I don't want to drop something so heavy on you, but we got to talk about this, all right? So yes, I would like to talk about maternal mortality rates in black women. Uh, I want to preface this by saying that I did a lot of research prior to this podcast all right and then and if anything i say is wrong and if you want to fact check me go ahead i have my sources here you know that's all right sometimes people get things wrong it's cool uh but yeah so i did do my research i would do i found a lot of studies a lot of studies let's say that and here's the thing i found a lot of studies that back up my my uh my claims and uh who really reiterate what I'm trying to tell to you guys. And and they say that what I'm saying is truth. It's not lies or it's not fabricated. Nothing. It's the truth. It's cold, hard truth. And there's nothing that we can do about it. You know? So, yeah. Anyways. Maternal mortality rates in black women. And uh, when I first started my research, I really, really hoped that it was just a coincidence that black women are were three to four times more likely than, than any other woman to... Uh, be affected by maternal mortality. I just thought it was just a fluke and, you know, just an accident. But the CDC, which does, which says that black women are three to four times more likely to be affected by maternal mortality, they they gave me their sources. They gave me their studies. And uh, it's true. Black women are three to four times more likely uh, than any other woman to die during, die during childbirth. We are also... Uh, two to three times more likely 
us combined with Native American women, according to the CDC, are two to three more times more likely to die during childbirth. Black women are the most affected by uh, maternal mortality rates. The most affected. Out of all women in the United States. And uh, that puts a sour taste in my mouth. Because it's like, why? What is, it, what is it about black women that makes them so vulnerable to maternal mortality? And of course, the answer is the same as that it's always been in this country. Racism. In this country and in this world, actually. Let's start there. But um, racism. Yeah. Uh, so all of these studies all say the same thing. Racism in America is a big key factor for why black women die during childbirth so much more than other women. A key factor. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of other uh, things and reasons and stuff like that that are outliers and everything else. And we're talking about health and all that stuff. But in the end, it all comes back to racism. Because the system in which the healthcare uh, abides is racist. Uh, the people that work in that system are racist. Whether they, whether it's conscious or unconscious, they are. And it just is what it is, you know? Anyways, the reason why that I say that it's racism is because um, these studies have shown and personal experience has shown that black women are more likely to get their concerns ignored by healthcare officials than other women. Typically, um, when... Black woman or any black person uh, carrying a child uh, says their concerns out loud to their doctors, they don't always get listened to. Unless, big unless, if there is another black person in the room. Which makes you think. Okay, so, their concerns aren't listened to unless there's another person of the same ethnicity in the room as them. Why would that be? Again, it comes back to the same thing. Racism. Racial bias. Uh, racial bias is any prejudice or preconceived thoughts a person has about another race. That's straight from Google. That is the definition. Okay, but besides all that, I want to really get dive into what we're really trying to get at. When I, what my point is, basically, about black women and maternal mortality. And why racism plays a part in that. And the thing is, so of course we talked about how their concerns are ignored... But it's bigger than that. Um, according to a couple different sources, um, one being uh, the Center for American Progress, another being uh, Black Women's Maternal Health, um, they both say that Black women, and typically women in poverty, live in this area called the coverage gap, where they don't receive health care the same way as others. Um, like, if you're poor... You don't receive the healthcare that rich will do, that kind of thing. You know, if that, that's what I'm trying to talk about. Um, and so we as black women typically exist in this coverage gap. So we don't typically get the things that we need when it comes to childbirth. That would be a systemic issue. And it's funny because when you think about it, black women are more likely to die during childbirth. Yet black people are not the only ones to live in poverty. So, again, it makes you think, you know, we have other, we have white people, we have brown people, you know, they all live in poverty, too. For the most part, in the same rates that we do, kind of somewhere around that. And they don't get affected like we do. So, 
we gotta gotta go back and you gotta think what's the difference between us and them the color of our skin sadly and it, and it does come back to that and it, and i'm sad to say that but yeah it is the color of our skin so we can we can assume it's racism because here's the thing i also want to point this out racism is hard to prove we can say all day long that this person is racist what this person said is racist is how this person acted is racist but you can't necessarily prove that racism exists and that it's real because racism is a thought it's a thought and then it becomes an action so we can say that we think that the fun the reason why this hospital doesn't get funded in this black area is because people in healthcare don't take black people seriously and while that is more than likely true we can't prove it which is a really big debate around this whole uh racial bias issue in healthcare and uh how racial bias affects maternal mortality rates in black women. It's a really big debate around all that that we'll get into later on. But yeah. So again, let me backtrack a little bit. The coverage gap, right? A lot of black women reside in this coverage gap. And so we don't get the care that we need, which belongs to a systemic issue, a systemic racism issue. And then you have other factors like uh, healthy food options that typically black people don't get due to the neighborhood that they reside in you know, i don't know because if you've never grown up around black people or grown up in a poor black neighborhood you probably wouldn't notice this but uh there are no healthy food options in poor black areas in poor areas in general also but no especially in poor black areas like i remember the first time that I went outside my neighborhood and went to the rich people neighborhood. They had a Trader Joe's. They had sushi. I had never seen those things in my life. You know, I I was 18 years old the first time I walked into a Trader Joe's. I was like, oh my god, there's healthy food options in here. It's not just a McDonald's and pre-processed foods. Yeah, but you know, still. We don't, black people don't necessarily have access to the resources that we need to be healthy, which deteriorates our our inner nervous systems and our uh, digestive systems and our, uh, all the other systems in our body, respiratory, everything. It just kind of all affects it and and we are put on the back burner for it. Another back burner, uh, but we get in trouble for that because people don't want to take the time to find our neighborhoods. And it's truly sad. It it really is. Because, again, people see black people as expendable. Well, just put another McDonald's in that neighborhood. You know, just put another Burger King. They don't don't really need healthy food. You know, they they don't need fresh meat, fresh produce. That's for the white neighborhoods. The ones that get the money. That's how people view black neighborhoods. And that's sad. That's a a sad reality. You know, we got to come to... We gotta come to terms with it because it's the truth. And once we come to terms with it, that's when we can change it. So again, so so far we have the coverage gap that affects black women. Um, that's a systemic issue and is the reason why so many black women die during childbirth. And then now we have a, just a health issue in general about about access that affects black people for another reason. Uh, another tally on the chart for systemic racism because it's like why because trader joe's is not that much different in price than my local grocery store like i can go to smith's 
and I can get almost the same thing for the same price. It, maybe it's a couple 10 cents, 20 cents more, but in the grand scheme of things, what does that matter, right? So yeah, so we have those two, and we have a systemic issue, but now let's talk about the indiv- uh, an individual issue. Again, racism is hard to prove. And racial bias, which I'm not sure if I, um, if you guys don't know this definition or not, but racial bias is the pre- any prejudice or preconceived thought one has about a person's race. Typically negative, of course. Uh, that also affects black women. Racial bias affects black women uh, during the times in which they give birth. Because doctors and nurses and any other healthcare officials are biased it's just it's just a fact they are they have these preconceived thoughts and they apparently just can't control them and it flows over into the patients and how they take care of their patients you know one fun fact that i actually learned during this process is that uh well actually it's not a fun fact it's a very upsetting fact but uh a doctor actually wrote about how in today's textbooks um, they actually st- still state racist things and how more than half of white individuals going to med school believe these things because they're in the textbook and they're like, well, I've never met a black person in my life. So, you know, I don't know how they act or how their blood coagulates cog- and they believe these things and then they go into the medical field with these thoughts. Um, Dr. Sabine actually is their name. They talked about how. Um, their colleagues, their colleagues, and uh, white uh, med school students actually believe that black people's nerve endings are less sensitive than white people's. And to add on to that, they also believe that black people's skin is thicker than white people's, and black people's blood coagulates more quickly than white people's. And these are things that were all taught in their textbooks, their current textbooks. It is twenty twenty one. And these are all things that they're being taught in their textbooks when there is absolutely no evidence to back this up or suggest that even it's there's even an inkling of truth in that. So when we have these people, they're going to be doctors and nurses and healthcare officials, and they still believe these things. So we have to we have to assume that these thoughts are going to trickle in to how they treat their patients because they they're just not going to believe them. It. It hurts, you know, when you go to the doctor and you're like, it hurts. They're going to be like, mm, you're just being dramatic because this is not what my textbook said. So that's another issue that um, affects black women. Um, and during the childbirth process, we have systemic racism and now we have individual racism. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, unconscious it is there. But anyways, now that I've uh, started talking about uh, why and how and what to believe, I want I want to give you guys some concrete evidence that this actually does exist. Because we can talk about the study all day long, but science is not always fact. You know, science truly is just a theory, a theory that can be proven false or proven um, right, and science always changes because we learn more and more. So I am just gonna give you guys some concrete facts. All right, so here's a couple anecdotes I have for you guys. So Shalon Irving, she was um, she was an educator. She was a doctor. She had gone through college. She got her PhD and everything, and she was well educated. She had money, but when it time for when it came for her time to give birth, 
she sadly did not make it. Um, and her mother has talked out about this, her siblings, her friends, um, and talked about this, how many times that Miss Irving talked about how she felt as if her concerns were being ignored by her doctors. How she would tell them things and they wouldn't listen. How when she was like, hey, can I get this or I need this and I need that. They would wait to the very last possible second to get it for her. Because they just didn't believe that she needed it as fast or as much as she said she did. So, because of that ignorance and because of that neglect, she sadly passed away. Her daughter is going to grow, her child is going to grow up without a mother. Her husband is going to be a single father and a widow because of someone else's negligence. And then you have other cases that are very similar. Shaisha Washington. Her and her husband raised fit after fit and just asked someone to listen. Something's not right. She had complications after birth and her husband was like, do you think she's okay? Can you check on her please? And like, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. She died before they could get to it. And they both died of very preventable things. You know, and then that's also what I want to bring into this conversation because I know people are going to talk about how, well, was it preventable? Are you certain? Are you sure? Yes, we are sure. Because in America, even if we want to take black, black women out of the equation, more than half of all maternal mortality uh, deaths in America can be, prevent, can be prevented. More than half. Almost all, actually. I, I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but I do believe it was, it was, it was close to about three-fourths or something like that of all maternal mortality can be prevented in America, yet it isn't. That's awful. That's scary. That's terrifying. That is awful. But yeah, so that, that's my concrete evidence. Um, because these are two people, two families that lived through this. Who can say, yes, this is what happened. Yes, this is what, these are the documents that I have to prove it. And of course, you can search them up themselves. I do believe Shalyn Irving was talked about on NPR.org and Shaisha Washington. Um, and a couple magazines, actually. It was all over the news, which is where I first learned about it. Um, but then I do have one that hit close, hits close to home. My own mother, uh, when she had my younger brother, she had told the doctor that her births usually come very, very quickly. Her last child was, uh, once her water was broken, was born in 30 minutes. And the child before that in less than two hours. And she told them, hey, I think you guys are going to want to wait. You guys want to stay. And they're like, no, you think it will be fine. And not even just a couple minutes after the doctor left, my mom had my brother. He popped right out, and a nurse delivered him. She was terrified. She was scared. I'm not saying that she didn't know what she was doing, but she was doing it without any guidance or direction, and she was all alone. Um, and that's one of the instances that I know where my mother felt ignored. And then to even go back to that one, my mother also had my brother. Um, she had asked him, she was like, his color looks a little off because my brother was born very, very light. He's very light skinned. And she was like, his color looks off. Can we check him? I, I think there's something wrong. And they told her that he was fine. It was just the hospital lights and it was all right. I'm um, coming to find out that my brother had jaundice and um, he almost died because of that. Because 
The doctors didn't want to listen to the concerns that my mother had. But thank goodness my mom and my brother are okay. They're alive and well and happy and everything. But that's scary reality because a lot of women didn't get that. You know, a lot of families didn't get that. They, they, when they were scared, it wasn't just a scare. It was forever. It was going to be over. That was it. I'm sorry that, I'm sorry, your mother, your daughter, your sister, your friend isn't going to live to see another day because someone was negligent in the way that they took care of them. They let their preconceived thought control the situation when it shouldn't have, you know, and I just hate having to admit that as a black woman, as someone who can bear a child, that's terrifying. As someone who is related to other people who can bear children uh, and have them. And that's terrifying. Because I want all of my family, I want my entire community of black women to survive with me. And to live with me. Because we all deserve a long and happy life. Be it, a lot of us aren't getting that. Which is a big reason why I wanted to do this podcast. Because I wanted to inform black mothers uh adult black mothers what they have the potential to face them and every other black childbearing person can be affected by but yeah so i want to i want to get out of the darkness for just a little bit and before i end this i want to talk about how we can prevent these issues from occurring and what we ourselves can do and advocate for. Because I don't want to just drop a whole bunch of sadness on you and not give you any way to fix it. So like I said, I did do my research and everything like that. And I, come, I, I, I came up across a few things. One, we have black women's maternal health. They are advocating to um, create initiatives within hospitals. Um, to provide patient-centered care and teach doctors and nurses and any other healthcare professionals um, about racial bias, how to prevent that from being involved within their work, and how to give black women, and of course any other woman of color, uh, women of non-color, how they can provide care that is centered exactly for that person of that ethnicity. So, which is something that I stand by. Well, I don't think any seminars or speeches are going to stop racial bias. I think it's a very good start to just make them aware. You know, just make them aware. Hey, I'm not saying that you have any racial bias in you. Because a lot of people don't react well when you do say that. But in case you do, here's something you can do about that. You know, which is what I advocate for. Because... While we might not want to admit it, making people upset is not going to accomplish anything. And when we talk about racism, people get very, very upset. And so as much as I don't want to have to sugarcoat what I'm saying, we won't have to sugarcoat it to get anything done. And we want to be real nice about it. And we don't have to tell them, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that you are racist. I'm not saying that you have any of these characteristics. But hey, nudge, nudge, here... Nudge, nudge. Here's a little, here's a little information. Use it at your will. I hope it sinks in. I hope you read it good and thoroughly. You don't just hope that it sticks in. But again, that is a very lukewarm approach 
to approach them with and just hope that it sinks in. So I also want to start training. You know, we we can talk about it a little bit and stuff, but giving them exact resources um, to fight against racial bias is what I believe is going to help a little bit. Because I think if you, if we can nip this stuff in the bud before it happens, before people get real, real unconsciously or consciously racist, we might have a chance. You know what I mean? And, and by racial bias training, I mean all the way back to the beginning of their school years. When they're in a kindergarten, elementary school, and then when they go to middle school, when they go to high school, and then when they go to med school. Teach them about different races. Teach them out about things that are microaggressions, you know. That's something that we should add to our education system. Um, and things like that. But also, um, when, it, when we're talking about training, we need to train more black doctors. We absolutely need to train more black doctors. I really want you guys to get behind on this one. If you feel a calling to healthcare, go do it. Go do it right now. Because you have the ability to save someone's life. You as a black woman have the ability to save another black woman's life by being in that room with her. By being in that room with her, you have a higher chance to be the one to listen to her concerns. To take her seriously. So, if you know anybody that has a calling, if you know any, any way we can get funding for more children and more adults to go to med school and become midwives, doctors, and nurses, go do it. Go donate if you can. Donate to these efforts. You know, uh, help people get through college. Give them, give them ways where they don't have to worry about their finances, you know, because med school is expensive. So do anything in your power that you can do to make sure that when you go to the hospital, there's a chance that you will be surrounded by someone who looks just like you. Someone who knows what it is, feels like to be in your shoes. Someone who has the higher chance of listening to you when you have something to say. So if that's donating, again, if that's donating, if that is simply just a speaking to people in your life who you feel as if should be in that area, speaking to people, speaking life into people who feel like they have this calling in healthcare, go do it. Go do it right now. I encourage you to go do that, all right? Uh, but then also, again, like I said before, uh, some of these approaches are lukewarm. And that's another one because when we think about it, we should not have to rely on one person in a room full of 500 or an exaggeration, one person in a room full of five people to listen to us. We shouldn't have to rely on that. That's not okay. Which is where teaching anti-racism comes in. We've talked about racial bias. And we and then we talked about this from and just in my plans. We talked about racial bias all the way back from when kids are four or five years old. So they might not even know what it they might not even have any racial bias. Because they've been taught what microaggressions are. They have been through show after show of seeing how to react to these situations. So they're less likely to have that. But then also we still have doctors and nurses who are still working and they're adults and we can't just teach them how to not be biased because they already have that in them. So this is where anti-racist training comes in. Anti-racist training, anti-racist movements, all of that. 
we want people to forget about race at the core. When you encounter a patient and you see their skin color, that's great, that's lovely. I know that black people are more likely to develop sickle cell than any other person. You know, I know that they're more likely likely to have lung failure, young lung failure, and all these other things. That's great. I want you to recognize that as a doctor or a nurse. However, I don't want you to assume that your black patient is incapable of telling the truth, is going to steal your supplies, is going to lie and be dramatic. I don't want you to assume that. So, we implement plans and protocols uh, for anti-racism in hospitals. And we especially implement consequences. When patients start complaining about their doctors and they're like, hey, yeah, my doctor just completely ignored my concerns and the way he's treating me as a black patient makes me feel some type of way. We should have consequences for that. To show doctors and nurses that we're being serious. We need to create an anti-racist agenda. No matter what all of that entails, we have to create that. That's a very big step of what we can do. And Bram Whitley and Michelle Morse, two doctors, two people with PhDs and everything, they're really truly the ones that brought this idea up to me. Because, you know, I was looking at these lukewarm approaches and I was like, oh yeah, let's talk about racial, racial bias. Let's put more black people in healthcare. Let's do, uh, do make some policy solutions and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what's that going to fix? Until, beca- until people become actively anti-racist. And anti-racism, I don't know if you don't know already, is um, being against racism. Being heavily against racism. Um, until we start implementing ideas and laws and stuff like that, that adhere to that agenda, then none of this is going to work. None of this is going to work. It's going to be all for nothing. So it's very, very important that we do do that. And then with that, because we did talk about how racism um, and racism and racial bias and the way that it affects black mothers, um, us black mothers, is a systemic thing. So I was looking at Centers for American Progress and... They created an entire list of policy solutions that they're advocating for and they hope to pass. Hope to get passed because, of course, they're not a part of our government. But they first want an expansion of health care. I absolutely advocate for that. If you have to take half my check in taxes away from me to pay for health care, please do. Because there are times where like I need to go to the hospital now, right now, because I am having trouble with a couple things. And I don't have coverage. I don't have insurance because I can't pay for it. So I can't. So an expansion of health care coverage? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Let's start rolling them out. You know what I mean? So, of course, I agree with that. And then they also want an improved quality of, qu- uh, an improved quality of care for pregnant women in general. Just in general. Just care for pregnant women the way that they should be cared for. Anytime that they open their mouths, give them your ears. Listen. You know, if you see that they are low on prenatal vitamins, refill it before they go out. You know, care for them the way that they should be cared for. Because women are our future. Women hold our future. Children are the future. But women hold that future within them. That power within them. Anyone who can, can care a child holds the power to continue America. 
in them. So it's important that we do all that we can to fix an issue that affects pregnant women or just pregnant people in general and gives them access to the things that they need. Then also, address this topic. You know, you don't, for me as my research, I didn't hear many outlets, news outlets, many many doctors who are currently working as doctors talking about this. A lot of it was people who either retired, who had stepped back from being a full-time in-hospital ER type physician, doctor, etc. People who were removed from that area. They had their degree, but sometimes a lot of the times they were educators where they did their years in the field and they left. I want to hear doctors talking about this, active current doctors talking about this, people who work in hospitals talking about this. We have to address maternal mortality and infant mortality and the health of both of those areas. That is our next step. And with that, enhanced supports before and after birth. Now, if that includes allowing pregnant women to have a longer paid leave, then all for, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Because it is so tough, so difficult to have a child. And that's tr- the stress that your body is being put in, uh, it's, it's no joke. And we have to give them better support while they're pregnant, before they get pregnant enough, they get pregnant than what we currently do. And lastly, an improvement in data collection and oversight. Because a lot of these things go unnoticed because they don't go documented. Because it's just not a big deal. Why do I need to write down that this person, this this uh, child caring person is short of breath all the time? Why do I need to write down that they can't walk? You know, they'll just get over it. They're just, they're just complaining, you know? So we need to, anything that is ever said from a doctor to a patient to a patient to a doctor needs to be collected. It needs to be written down. It, it needs to be looked at. We need an improvement in that, in that area. And and not even just complaints and stuff like that. Charts. Make sure your someone's charts are kept and kept and kept until they they can't even be kept no more. Just keep their freaking charts. Keep their charts and keep their their health care, their health health charts updated, you know? But yeah, so those are just, again, this podcast, I do apologize for it being so dark, but you know, it is living while black. And that it is what it is. A lot of our topics are going to have to be dark, you know. Because we are living while black. And, and that's a dark time. It's a, it's a dark time to be a part of. And it sucks. But yeah, so. I know I, I got really off on a tangent on this one, guys. I, I do apologize. Um, it was all over the place. But today we talked about maternal mortality. And how it's affected by racial bias and uh, specifically um, systemic racism and individual racism. And we, we also talked about things that we can do to fix that. Policy solutions from the Center for American Progress. And we talked about how the CDC states that uh, black women are the most affected by uh, maternal mortality. They are three to four times, specifically three to four more times more likely to be affected. And... Um, a bunch of other statistics, 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 sorry, couldn't get it out, um, statistics that I just won't restate. And then we talked about, uh, real living anecdotes. Well, 
So I just say not living anymore. Uh, we did we we did talk about anecdotes, but uh yeah, so that's gonna be it for you guys. Again, I just wanna reiterate that take care of your mental health, you guys. You know, as black women, we go through a lot in this society. We go through a lot. You know what I mean? And it's important that we understand that we may be strong black women, but we don't always gotta be strong. Please talk to somebody. Please take care of your mental health. Please make sure that if you are hurting, you let it people know. You let people know. Um, I just want to end this out. I love you. Black women, you are strong. You are powerful. You rule this freaking world. And you are worth so much more than the world gives you. And I wish you guys all the best, all right? You guys have a good one out there. Good night. Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Have a good one, guys.